King Henry VIII has always been fascinating to me. I can't help but think of the most familiar image of him, his obese body crammed into tights, his head donned by a a bejeweled hat that usually has a feather coming off of it, his rosy cheek standing out from his dense beard, and then his hand holding a turkey leg that is on its way to his mouth. Ah, yes, it's good to be the king. I was able to expand my stereotypical image of him the other day while flipping through the TV channels, which is always dangerous. But I was looking for something to watch, and I saw there was a show on PBS, Secrets of King Henry VIII's Palace. And so that drew me in. I began to watch it. The show provided a a glimpse into his life, uh, all about him, about uh, his many marriages, and of course the way that he so conveniently ended those marriages. Uh, But the show, for instance, showed his uh, tennis court. Had no idea that people even played tennis back then, but uh, apparently King Henry was uh, quite fond of of tennis, and they showed the actual court that is still in use today uh, there at his castle. And they provided stories and information about his skills at tennis, playing and winning against kings and royals of other nations. It turns out that he won all of his matches, You would lose too if you knew there was a guillotine or the Tower of London waiting for you after your victory. But the show provided uh, some interesting things that I never knew about King Henry VIII, giving me a, a more rounded understanding of this more than rounded king and the effect that he had on his kingdom. Though we are, I would say, purposefully not familiar with having a king in our nation, we are Uh, totally against the idea of having a king, it is good for us to consider our need for having one as individuals and as a church, that we would be a church that recognizes its king, a church that has a king. And in our individual lives, that we would have an understanding that, that we have a king. We have someone who is in authority over our lives and reigning over us. This is, after all, Christ the King Sunday. It is the last Sunday of the church year. We begin uh, with Advent next week. Uh, of course, the four Sundays before Christmas. We, uh, we count down and we look ahead and we prepare ourselves for the, the coming of our King. Our text this morning, Luke chapter 23, in these 10 verses, 33 to 43, we find that they provide us with an opportunity to get a better glimpse of the greatest of all kings. And taking a look at him here, right through the the lens of Luke that we've been looking through for several weeks now, as we have considered different parables and different texts and, and different things that Jesus has been doing. Luke has told us about them all. We have looked at these even a little more closely on Wednesday nights as we have uh, met for prayer meeting, and as we have uh, had a, a chance to look at the, uh, the gospel that's coming up for the next week, we've considered these words and this angle more deeply. But we've talked about the effect that Jesus has had and really still has on his kingdom, and that's what we are to look at today. Luke, throughout his gospel, and not just in these ten verses, he shows what makes Jesus a different kind of king. His readers were accustomed to kings, and maybe in Sunday school or 
uh, in another Bible study that you've been a part of. You've read about the history of the kings of, of Israel. You've, you've read about King David and others. And these were all very familiar to them. Some good and some bad. Some just and others very unjust, if not evil. But they understood that they were subjects of their king, living in his kingdom and by the rules of his reign. Their history was full of examples of of kings who misused their powers, who denied them justice, and who turned away from the God who had enthroned them. The harsh reality of living under a bad or an unjust or an ineffective king really gave them a longing for the right kind of king to come along. A king like David, one who would rule with justice and one who would take care of the kingdom and and rid it of its enemies and be able to protect them. And they knew that one day, one of these kings would come along. Their prophets had told them all about this one king, the Messiah, who was coming into the world to reign victoriously over their enemies and to usher in God's kingdom for the world. This was something they talked about as they would gather for their meals. It's something they would talk about as they would go to the temple or they would gather in the synagogue. They looked for this one to come and be able to establish his kingdom. The word of the prophets mixed with their longings and fueled by their constant state of captivity created a certain image of this Messiah. And they would use this as they would look on the horizon for their future. And of course, many a person would come into their cities and come into their villages and claim to be that Messiah. This was something they were used to as well. But no one ever fit the picture. There were lots of others who uh, would stand on the corners and say all kinds of things, but never could match up with their words, their behavior. Not until Jesus came along. As we see in our journey with Jesus to His cross, Uh, especially every Easter as we prepare for that. We follow Jesus down the roads and the the byways and through the different uh, lives of the people He encounters. And we see that He is developing this huge fan base. We certainly see that as He enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. As He's coming through the streets of Jericho. As He's entering into the city of Jerusalem. The city where He will die. There are people cheering Him on with palm branches and shouts of Hosanna, giving their highest hopes and faith that He will make right what has been wrong, that He will crush their Roman captors, that He will fulfill all that God had promised them in terms of blessing and land. He just fit their view of what a king ought to be. He fit it perfectly until they saw what we have just seen and heard in our text today. A bloody and violent crucifixion. Jesus on the cross no longer fit their image of what a king ought to be. God's answer for them surely would not be hanging there helplessly on a Roman cross. And I love the way that was described about two planks of wood in our call to worship. There is a king hanging on two splintery planks of wood. Condemned to die. With criminals. Yet there was their king, a very different kind of king. Author Philip Yancey, in his book, Disappointment with God, and if you've ever been disappointed with God, first of all, know that that's okay. 
God allows for that. God is big enough to handle your disappointments with him. Yancey writes about disappointments with God in his book, and he writes about how Henry Nowen tells the story of a family that he knew in Paraguay. The father, he says, a doctor, spoke out against the military regime there and its human rights abuses. Local police took their revenge on him by arresting his teenage son and torturing him to death. Enraged townsfolk wanted to turn the boy's funeral into a huge protest march. And the doctor chose another means of protest. At the funeral, the father displayed his son's body as he had found it in the jail, naked, scarred from electric shocks and cigarette burns and beatings. All of the villagers, they piled and filed past the corpse, which lay not in a coffin, but on the blood-soaked mattress from the prison. It was the strongest protest imaginable, for it put injustice on grotesque display, he says. Isn't that what God did at Calvary? The cross that held Jesus' body naked and marked with scars exposed all of the violence and injustice of this world. At once, the cross revealed what kind of world we have and what kind of God we have. A world of gross unfairness. A God of sacrificial love. Those are powerful words. We are invited on this Christ the King Sunday to consider what the cross of Jesus reveals about our God. It's not just something we do at uh, Holy Week as we approach and we recognize the same scripture on Good Friday and as we contemplate the crucifixion right before the celebration of Easter. It is something that we get a chance to look at every day and to consider what God is saying to us, what God reveals to us about Him through Jesus. We see it in Jesus' kingship and how He differed from every other kind of king. First, Jesus is the kind of king who is willing to suffer and to die, not just for His kingdom. A lot of kings would do that. But for the people of His kingdom. This king of ours was willing to take on the evils, the injustices, and the enemies of the world, not with violence, but with an arsenal of love. As we can see, he was not uh, one who only suffered for us, but with us. What you and I can know today is that we have a leader who is very familiar with suffering. One who understands everything that we're going through, everything that we will go through. What looked like weakness in Him was strength. What looked like defeat was victory. What caused people to walk away with complete disappointment at His cross was overshadowed by what led them to run from the empty grave with extreme celebration. He is alive. This is good to remember as you consider where Jesus is in your life right now. And the question that came to us earlier is, where have you seen Jesus in this past week? Maybe that was hard for you to think about. Maybe it took you a few moments to think about it. Or maybe as you heard someone else speak about that, you thought, well, I just missed Jesus in my week. I just missed seeing Him. But I hope that you will see that He has been right there with you. Your disappointments, 
your pain, your problems are not unfamiliar to Jesus the King. You have a king who is willing to enter your world with reckless abandon to provide you with full access to the treasure of God's kingdom. It is not something he hoards and keeps from you. I love the movie Robin Hood because I love watching someone go in and take back what belongs to the people, the treasures of the kingdom, and give them back where they belong to the subjects of the kingdom. And this is what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. He has provided us with access to the treasure. And you have a king whose life of love and grace could not be blocked. The evil and injustice of our world, which we see every day in the news, and even right here in our own community, are nothing new for him. They don't come as any surprise to Jesus the king. He has seen them before, and he is working now to put closure on his victory over them. This past week was the 50th anniversary of President Kennedy's assassination. The nation and much of the world paused for a day to mourn the tragedy of what took place there in Dealey Plaza. The media was full of articles and shows and all kinds of documentaries about JFK's contribution to our nation. Almost lost in the news, though, and of course uh, this took place this past week, but also when it happened 50 years ago, was the death of C.S. Lewis. Did you catch that? Did you see it in the news or see maybe just a little something about it? I had forgotten about that. Certainly I wasn't around 50 years ago. But as I I've heard about that, I just kind of put it behind. Yes, I haven't heard about it 50 years ago. Almost, but not quite. Um, it's one of those things that was just kind of lost because something else very significant happened that day. But C.S. Lewis died on that day 50 years ago. And uh, his contribution to the world is also great, like John F. Kennedy's. And I would say it is also very history-shaping, his contribution. What we all probably recognize him for the most is his writing of the Chronicles of Narnia. He was a prolific writer. But the Chronicles really, I think, seems to stand out the most as as everyone's favorite set of books. Whatever our age, we are drawn into the story, understanding the battle between good and evil, finding ourselves in the midst of the hope and the salvation in the lion, Aslan, the king. His writings creatively provide us with a powerful reminder that there is another kingdom with a king who has ultimate victory. What we also see about God in Jesus, this very different kind of king, is that he reigns with forgiveness. His last words before death were ones that were not threats of vengeance, but of mercy and forgiveness. This morning in Sunday school, children's Sunday school, I was invited to share about the fruit of the Spirit, and we talked about love. And we talked about what happens to us when people do things like hurt us or say things that hurt our feelings or even physically hurt us. What do we do? Well, we don't shout back at them. We don't try to hurt them. We don't try to take vengeance. But we show them the love of God. And that is a very difficult thing. I think we all conceded that. It's difficult to do. And this is what Jesus did out of mercy and forgiveness, saying with what little breath He had left, Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they are doing. I'm thinking that is not what any of us would say had it been one of us. Humiliated and falsely accused and left to die. Why not, as the Son of God, call down the wrath of God on them and save yourself? That's what people were looking for as they watched Jesus hung upon the cross. Their last little glimmer of hope that he would bust off of that cross and take care of all of those that had put him there. Jesus knew that's not the kind of God he represented as king. The radical message he took with him to the cross was that God was providing forgiveness and complete reconciliation for the world. And what a powerful message for the soldiers that put him there. For the religious rulers who held court and made fun of him and falsely accused him and framed him that he might go on to the cross. What a powerful message for the world to hear. This morning, have you heard that message of forgiveness? Have you heard it within the depths of your soul and of the life that you live as you go about your day? Psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, others will pretty much all tell you that most of our problems come right back to our understanding or lack of understanding of forgiveness. There is a sense of guilt and shame that we carry around with us that God has has already done something about. God has already provided us with access to His forgiveness, complete forgiveness. And we are all guilty of living for another king, for living for our own kingdom or that of someone else. But Jesus was willing to forgive His enemies, even as they nailed Him to the cross. So how could you ever think How could you ever think He is not willing to forgive you? Yes, even for what you may have done that no one else may know about, He has forgiven you. May you and I hear these words of forgiveness today, claiming them for our own sins and allowing them to free us from guilt and condemnation. Finally, what Jesus does as king is to invite us into paradise. The words, today you will be with me in paradise, have been a source of comfort for many a sinner ever since the day Jesus uttered them to this man, this criminal, this thief that was on the cross next to him. The man could see that Jesus was a different kind of king. And we talked about this on Wednesday night. And as we talked about it, we just talked about the significance that we were hearing in the Scripture as we we kept reading it, of what it meant for that guy to recognize that there was something different about Jesus. The other criminal seemed to miss it as he hung there on the cross, but this guy, he got it. Today you will be with me in paradise. And once again, Jesus shows the heart of God for all humankind even for hardened criminals. How incredible to hear these words and the bloody misery of that scene. And what a contrast there is between the place of the skull and the place of paradise. That was a word that stuck out to Marlene on Wednesday night as we read this. As she talked about paradise. And as I was thinking about that, I I thought about this contrast. You begin the passage of Scripture with the place of the skull or what is also called Golgotha. 
And if you look at it, you see that it looks like a skull. And you contrast that with what Luke tells us about paradise. Jesus was headed there to paradise, a much better place, a kingdom reality that was not so far away, desiring to take a notorious sinner and anyone else to go with him. This desire of his still continues. His promise still stands. We may be staring at the filth of our sin, surrounded by the darkness of evil and violence in our world, beaten down by the powers that seem to work against us. But Jesus reminds us that there is a paradise. And He, as its King, He shows us the way there. The question is, are you going with Him there? Have you heard Him say that to you this morning? As we enter this week of thanksgiving, may we take with us the words that we sang at the beginning of today's service in this hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns. Hear again these words. Crown Him with many crowns, the Lamb upon His throne. Hark, how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake, my soul, and sing of Him who died for thee, and hail Him as thy matchless King through all eternity. May that be our song as we continue on. Let us pray. Our Christ the King, we come before you today recognizing your greatness, recognizing your reign of love and grace and mercy. And as we come before you,